Chapter Three of Secretary Hawkins in Cuba. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Secretary Hawkins in Cuba, by Secretary Hawkins, in Old Habana. I was greatly surprised to find that good old Zack Waters had succeeded in getting permission for me to go with him and Mr. Montilla and Link Lambert to Cuba to take possession of the skinny guy's inheritance. How he ever got my mother's consent will always be a mystery to me, for she always wanted me at home, even when I would go for a short vacation to my Aunt Jules in Kentucky, she would cry and carry on as though I was going on a long, long journey. Now, when I was about to start on the longest trip ever taken by any boy in our town, my mother was the only one who seemed to be glad that I was going to get a chance to see some of the country. When the time for parting came, she was the bravest one in the family. Dad had a tear in his eye as he hugged me to him and told me to remember that I was his son and to behave myself as he expected me to. But Mother kissed me, smiling, and said, Have a good time and be a good boy. Yes, that's what she said. And she waved her hand and smiled as Dax's automobile started for the railroad station. But when I looked back, I saw her lay her head on Dad's shoulder, and I knew she was crying. God bless her. Mother is the best friend a fellow has. She would give everything she has to make you happy. And when you go away from her, she tells you to have a good time and be a good boy. But when you are gone, oh boy, how she does cry. I felt blue too after I left the old home. Who knows, I said to myself, if I will ever get back there again. And then I realized how much trust they placed in good old duck wires. They knew he would take care of Link and me. And I knew, too, that Dak would do that, even if it cost him his life. Montilla had arranged everything for the journey. Passports, tickets, baggage, and all that. All that we had to do was to get on the train. The night before we left, all of the boys gathered at the clubhouse in the hollow to give us a send-off party. Dak Waters had a lot of cakes and sandwiches sent over, and we had lemonade and ice cream, and it was a fine affair. All of the boys were in good humor, and we had a good time until it was time to say goodbye. Then they seemed to get gloomy. Cheer up, I said. For goodness sake, don't send us off with sad faces. Give us a smile, Jerry. We are coming back soon. Jerry Moore smiled at me. Maybe, 
he remarked, It's a long way to Cuba, and many things can happen on the way. Oh, I said, you expect the train to get into a wreck or the ship to sink, maybe? Jerry wouldn't say any more. Lou Hunter and Dick Ferris stayed with us after the others had gone. Keep the boys together, Dick, I said, and don't let them get into any trouble that would make us lose this clubhouse. I'll do my best, Hawkins, Dick said, but you can never tell what Pelham is going to do. I'll help, Dick, said Lou, and I'll make the boys take more interest in singing. It helps to hold them together. And so we parted from our fellows. The first day on the train was a happy day for all of us. Duck and Montilla, the Cuban lawyer, sat together and talked, while Skinny Link and I looked out of the windows and enjoyed the passing scenery. There were times when Link would get very blue, and I could not cheer him up. He felt bad because the Cuban would not permit his father to go along with us. Duck tried hard to get the Cuban to consent to it, but Montilla insisted that it would not be wise for Link's father to come along. And so Duck Waters consoled Link by telling him that after he had possession of the estate, Link would have enough money to do as he pleased, at which time he could go back to the United States and get his father, and then they could live together again as they wished. Link sighed and turned to me. Ah, well, he said, at least I have Hawkins with me. You bet you have, Link, I said. I'm with you, sink or swim, to the finish. Link smiled, and he was happy again. Good old Hawkins, he said. After a few hours traveling, I grew tired and sat leaning against the back of my chair and almost fell asleep. But suddenly, I thought I was being watched. I just felt as though somebody's gaze was fixed upon me, and I opened my eyes slowly and saw a man in a chair at the upper end of the coach, seated facing me. He wore a brown felt hat and had a mustache and a short pointed beard. Her hair was of a reddish color and thick. As he noticed me looking at him, He shifted his eyes and gazed out of the car window. I did not say anything about it to Duck or Link, because I thought they might laugh at my foolish ideas. I did not see this man again on the train. At Jacksonville, Florida, we changed trains. There was so much to see in this city that all of us were kept busy until it was time to catch the train for Key West. Mr. Montilla seemed to know everybody in every place, and he took us through without any trouble. The following morning, when we woke, Link was very much excited. 
Hawkins, he said, we are riding over the ocean. Hush up, I said. Don't be a foolish link. It's true, he said. Look for yourself. So, without waiting to get into my clothes, I jumped up and peeped out on the window. All I could see was the ocean stretching away into the horizon. It gave me the creeps. It was like a fairy tale. Here we were in a railroad that was thundering away over the sea. I could not see any of the bridge over which the train was running until we reached an island and the train made a bend. Then I looked out again and saw that what we had come over was a long trestle built on big piles of cement that were sunk into the sea. The island we were on is called a key, and there are many of them as you leave the southern tip of Florida State. From one of these keys to another, these long trestles are built over the ocean, so that the railroad can travel from one island to the other until it comes to the last one, which is called Key West. We stayed in Key West until 10 o'clock that night, and then took the big ship that was to take us to Habana, which is the capital of Cuba. The ship was very interesting to Link and myself. And when Dak bought us some crackers and milk before we went to bed, he paid for it in American money and got Cuban money for change. Link was surprised. He said to Doc that he thought money was the same all over the world. Doc showed Link a piece of Cuban money, which looked like our quarter. Twenty cents is all it is worth, said Doc. Link looked disappointed. Oh, he said, maybe I won't be so rich as you think I will if my inheritance is in Cuban money. Doc laughed and told Link that it took five of these pieces to make a Cuban dollar, which is worth as much as our dollar, one hundred cents. So Link was satisfied, and we went to our state rooms. Link and Montilla had one state room, while Doc and I had the one next to theirs. I asked for a drink, and Doc gave me a pitcher and told me to go out on deck where the ice water was and bring some in the stateroom. As I walked out of the stateroom, I saw, or thought I saw, a man quickly leave our room. At first, I thought he had been stooping to look in our keyhole or to listen to what we were saying. But then I thought perhaps he was just passing as I came out. But when I stepped at the ice water tank, I saw him turn to look back at me. He was a fine-looking young man with dark, smooth, shaven face and very athletic look. He did not stop, but disappeared around the front of the ship. Ah, I said to myself, let us have another look at this fine man. So, 
with my pitcher of ice water, I walked forward. As I reached the corner of the middle cabin, I saw him standing by the rail, talking to another man, and my heart leaped as I saw that the man he was talking to was the man with red hair and pointed beard that I imagined was watching me in the train. At once, I felt that these two men had some interest in me. What it was, I could not imagine. I wondered whether or not I should tell Dak about it, but decided that perhaps I may have been mistaken and should say nothing about it. When I went back to the stateroom, Dak was already in his berth. Come, hurry up, Hawkins, he said. Get into your berth before you get seasick, or we will have to put you in. This was a little shock to me again. I had not given a thought to seasickness until this moment, and Doc knew that I was afraid. I wish we didn't have to cross the ocean, I said. Doc laughed. Ocean, he said. You don't call this little strip of salt water ocean, do you? Well, I answered. It is salt water and I know the waves will be rough. Forget it, said Doc. That's the best way. You go to sleep, and tomorrow morning, and tomorrow morning, you will wake up in Havana, and you won't know that you were ever on salt water. I climbed into my berth, but could not sleep. I could hear noise of the roustabouts and trucks outside loading baggage and other things into the vessel. And when the big whistle blew, it was so loud, I nearly fell out of my berth. Blow! It was the worst out-of-tune whistle I ever heard, but I guess it was because I felt so shaky and nervous. Then the ship started. I knew it was starting because I could feel the up-and-down movement First, my head would be up, then my feet would be up. I'll get sick if I stay in this berth, I said to myself. So I climbed out. Jack was sleeping soundly. And so I went over to the porthole window and looked out. The harbor lights blinked and glittered like Christmas tree candles and over beyond a lighthouse flashed its friendly signal on and off, on and off, beckoning to all the vessels the place where a refuge might be had. Even after all the harbor lights disappeared and the ship was sailing in black night, the watchful eye of the lighthouse kept up its blinking and was the only thing to be seen. As I gazed down into the sea, I noticed the big white rolls of foam that shot away from the bow of the ship, and the bigger they grew, the worse the ship rolled. So I thought it would be best to get into my berth. There I waited and waited to see if I would get seasick. But while I was waiting, I fell asleep. When I woke up in the morning, 
light was streaming through the porthole window. Dak was already dressed. Get up, he said. We are entering the Habana Harbor, and there is lots to see, Hawkins. I hustled out of my berth and ran to the window. Ahead of us was the old tower of Moro Castle and the battered walls of old feet cabanas in which Spain put to death many Cuban patriots who were fighting for Cuban liberty before Uncle Sam went down and set the island free. Lying everywhere in the great harbor were ships and steam vessels from all parts of the world, handsome-looking liners and speedy schooners, while at one point lay a fleet of fishing boats. It was wonderful to Link and me, and Mr. Montilla explained everything to us as our ship slowly made its way up the bay. But best of all was the old-fashioned city, Habana. When we landed, Mr. Montilla's automobile was waiting for us at the dock, and we rode through the little streets up into the Prado, which is the big square in the downtown section and where Mr. Montilla's office is located. All the signs of the houses are in Spanish, and almost all the people speak Spanish. Link and I could not understand much of what was said, but Duck did. I spent some months here when I was a young man, he said. I picked up the lingo pretty well, but I've forgotten most of it by now. But Mr. Montilla translated for us everything that was said and promised to give us lessons so that we could speak the language in a short time. As we started to go up the steps to Mr. Montilla's office, I happened to see another automobile step a few feet behind ours. I saw a man leap out to pay the driver and my heart gave a jump again. It was the fine athletic-looking young man that I had seen on the train, and again on the ship. Here, he was at our heels again, and as I looked, another man jumped out of the car. It was the red-headed man with a pointed beard. Surely, I said to myself, these two are following us. What can they want? But I said nothing as I followed Duck and Link up the steps to Mr. Montilla's office. End of chapter 3